from the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. It's Elevator Music 2.0. We'll introduce you to Feed FM's Jeff Yasuda to learn how the music in your gym is changing. It's the 50th anniversary of the Elvis Comeback Show. Come on, give me your best impression. No, I don't do Elvis impressions. I refuse. And we look back at the career of the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. There you go. No Aretha Franklin imitation? I have. (laughs) Yeah. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. Are we going to talk about Aretha? Well, I guess we should. Aretha had been sick for a very, very long time. She was a former alcoholic. She was a former chain smoker. She was a former yo-yo dieter. Uh, she had gone up and down, up and down in terms of her weight. When she quit smoking in 1994, her weight went back up. Uh, she had three siblings who all died of various types of cancers. She had some kind of tumor removed in 2010. Didn't say what kind of tumor it was, but at the time, her doctors told her that having the surgery would extend her life by 10 or 15 years. But then over the last couple of years, she's been sick for a variety of reasons. We don't know why, but she's had to cancel shows and postpone shows. I think the last time that she performed live was with Elton John at an AIDS benefit in Philadelphia back in November of 2017. And she had dropped... Uh, this week to 85 pounds. She was really, really sick. I mean, but I mean, the woman is the, she was the first woman uh, uh, elected to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And that wasn't until 1987. She said, it is with my sincerest regrets I am unable to be with you tonight as planned. I am highly honored to be held in such high esteem along with my peers and with my old friends. To be the first woman inductee into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is a historical moment and indeed a milestone in my career. It is a moment I had hoped to share with you and the illustrious members of this esteemed committee. She's known as the Queen of Soul. She sold 75 million records. I had read somewhere that she is considered to be the best singer of all time. Some people will tell you that. I know the Rolling Stones would argue and say that, yeah, she is. Looking out on the morning rain I used to feel so uninspired got her start in 1960 at the age of 18. Yeah, singing gospel songs and then went secular and eventually signed to Atlantic Records by uh, Ahmed Erdogan 
And that's when her career really took off, when she became an Atlantic Records artist in, in 1967. Seven. Yes. And then uh, Respect, and You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman, and all those other hits came after that. 112 chart hits, 77 of those in the top 100. Remarkable to think that uh, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, as her signature song, was something she recorded at the age of 25. Yeah. And you, you got to put that into context. You know, it was in the middle of the beginning of the women's liberation movement. And to hear something like that, very empowering song, very important song, and still resonates today. 112 charted singles on the Billboard, 77 of the Hot 100. Is, has anybody come close to that? Mm, that's a good question. With with a woman, I don't know. We'd have to go and see what Madonna has done. Mm. I, my, my, my fondest memory, and this is going to sound really weird, but my fondest memory of her is in the Blues Brothers movie. When she played the waitress? <laughs> we got two hunkies out there dressed like Hasidic diamond merchants. Say what? They look like they're from the CIA or something. What they want to eat? The tall one wants white bread, toast, dry, with nothing on it. Elwood. And the other one wants four whole fried chickens and a Coke. And Jake shit the blues brother. Hi, Jake. Matt! Hi, Elwood. What are you doing? How you doing? How was Joliet? Oh, it's bad. On Thursday night, they serve a wicked pepper steak. Can't be as bad as the cabbage roll at the Terre Haute Federal PM. Or that oatmeal at the Cook County Slammer. Oh, they are all pretty bad. Matt, me and Elwood, we're putting the band back together. It's great. She won 18 Grammy Awards. Uh-huh. Best-selling musical artist of all time. 75 million records worldwide. One of the best selling. One of the best, yeah. According to the internet, so you must be true, uh, Madonna is the best-selling female recording artist of all time, with selling more than 300 million records worldwide. Yeah, she was uh, she was a big one, and she was also around in the era of the CD, and she sold an awful lot of CDs. Boy, my boy. It's been a long time, Jack, I'm telling you. It's been a while. A while. About 15 minutes. About 15 minutes, man. Are we on TV? No, we're on a train heading for Tulsa. (laughs) Okay. Man. Good night. (laughs) Quick show. Well, send my baby little me. I know that I tend to to poke fun at you for your age, but clearly you don't remember the 1968 Elvis NBC television special. No, no, not at all. I only remember it in retrospect. Um, Elvis had gone through a number of years making terrible movies, and he was considered to be irrelevant, but then came back and did a couple of TV specials in 68, it was the one from Hawaii. Is, this, is that the one we're talking about, the Elvis comeback special? Where he's uh, performed in the middle of a crowd on a square stage? Yes. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> this is another suit, Jack. I'm telling you. Well, if your baby leaves you, you got a tale to tell. Let us take a walk down on the street to Hardline Motel where you will Oh, 
typically known, according to uh, Geeks and Beats writer Derek Dresser, as the 68 comeback special. It started out as a typical Carney pitch by Colonel Parker Elvis's manager. Parker pitched the over-the-top deal to NBC in the fall of 67 as initially a Christmas special. Right, and Elvis had been considered a joke. He came back from the Army, had a couple of hits, but then really fell on hard times because the Colonel kept putting him in these terrible, terrible movies. Right. And by the time we get to 67, 68, uh, you know, the hippies and the summer of love and, and that new generation had taken over and Elvis was considered to be old news, a dinosaur, a relic of the past. And then the Colonel put together this 68 special, which brought Elvis to satellite delivered television which was a brand new thing. Yeah. And it introduced Elvis to a completely new audience. Not quite what the Beatles saw in 1964 when they appeared on Ed Sullivan, but it was certainly something that brought Elvis into the modern age with this color, satellite-delivered, TV special. NBC executive Bob Finkel uh, brought in a man by the name of Steve Binder to direct this special, which, as you point out, the Colonel originally pitched it as Elvis wearing a tuxedo singing Christmas carols. But Steve Binder was known for going against the grain and stood up to this idea, uh, seeing Elvis's career at stake and figured that he needed to, quote, do something really important. So Elvis actually got excited about this. Originally, he didn't want to have anything to do with this. Uh, and Elvis brought back his former band, including the original guitarist, Scotty Moore, and the drummer, DJ Fontana, to really get back to his roots. Yeah, and he wore the leather suit. <laughs> he did. He did wear the yes, which is very yes. different from what he did. How, how many years later, when 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 it was Fat Elvis doing the over-the-top sequined outfits? By the mid-70s, Elvis had overcome his fear of flying. And in 1977, just six weeks prior to his death, Elvis agreed to do another television special. At the time, he also received an award for Moody Blue. So apparently he got really excited about this and NBC put together a 50-minute special to showcase all sides of Elvis's material. It started with his earliest recordings, got into his gospel numbers as well, and he performed live for the first time in seven years wearing that iconic all-black leather suit. And it was on June the 27th of 1968. It took the top ratings for the week, December 3rd, 1968, 9 p.m. when it aired. Right. Okay. 42% share. That means for every TV that was on, 42% of them were tuned to watching this one show. Right. Uh, now, the Beatles, for comparison, 1964, uh, they had 71 million viewers. I don't know what kind of a share that was, but it basically was a third of the American population. One out of three Americans sat down to watch the Beatles. Yeah. By the end of the special, Elvis was in an all-white suit in front of that uh, namesake marquee sign performing If I Can Dream. Hmm. It was written for the special by Walter Earl Brown after Elvis was concerned about the state of the world in 1968. Of course, <laughs> was, we, we lost Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, and Robert Kennedy the same year. RFK had been dead for about three weeks. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in April. And then, of course, we had things like the Tet Offensive in Vietnam. Uh, Richard Nixon was about to be elected uh, president of the United States. We were uh, heading towards the Democratic National Convention, which everybody got their heads busted open. So, yeah, it was a pretty tumultuous time. The lead sponsor 
Singer sewing machines. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay, I like that. Y'all still want me to come with you? Want to write for the big show? Go to geeksandbeats.com slash newsroom to learn about how you can be a part of the world's most popular podcast. Do it for the glory and the love of the game. If we paid you any less, you'd be paying us. Geeksandbeats.com. Skirting unpaid intern laws for over 75 years. Feed Media is a company founded in part by a former president of MTV. It launched Feed FM that claims they're, quote, leveraging music in a fundamentally new way for businesses. And so the more I'm reading about this, the more I realize I think I know exactly what they actually do. I think this is Elevator Music 2.0. So joining us now is Jeff Yasuda. He's the CEO. He joins us from his studio in San Francisco. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, it, it's Elevator Music 2.0. Is that fair? Yeah, you know, it, it is. It is. I'm not uh, I'm not wild about the Muzak comparison, but you pretty much nailed it. I mean, you know, obviously Muzak, uh, just for, for those that don't know what it is, um, you know, historically was Elevator Music back in the day. Um, you know, and that was primarily then moved into sort of the brick and mortar or retail store, music for retail stores. But what we do is really the same concept, but focused in the digital age, more specifically powering a music solution and clearing all the necessary rights so that uh, users can enjoy and be further engaged with music on, you know, in apps, websites, social media, basically wherever your customer is located. So you would describe this as background streaming. Yeah, I think it's it's that's that's a fair description. You know, one of the just to you know hop right in and provide a super simple use case to understand. So, you know, we power music for just a whole host of fitness companies. And as you probably know, there are tens of thousands of these fitness apps that are out there. Uh, most people, when they work out, they listen to music. And with this whole advent of people now working out, you know, to content on their apps, they need music to uh, to help ease the pain, I guess. And that's where we come in. All right. So I go to a personal fitness guy three times a week. It's not helping. Yeah. <laughs> they have a, a Sono system. You and me both, so in the studio mm-hmm. and uh, they go to Spotify mm-hmm. and will run any one of the thousands of workout playlists that you can find on Spotify. The biggest one is called Beast Mode, which is mm-hmm. like a heavy duty um, hip hop kind of workout thing. What what mode do you choose? No, the, the name of the playlist is Beast Mode. I know, but what playlist are you playing? They put it on for me. They think that this is going to help me. They think that beast mode is going to get me in the zone. Does it? No, I don't hear any of the music because I, <laughs> the blood is pounding in my head so loudly. I don't even notice the music. I just want it all to be over. It's kind of like being waterboarded. <laughs> and I just want them to stop. So anyway, so so this is what a lot of fitness studios, workout studios uh, do is, is they just simply go to... Um, sure. So what do you do that makes 
your service better than just calling a beast mode on Spotify? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, first of all, you know, I'm a huge believer. I know a lot of people uh, say content is king. You know, I'm a big believer that context is king. Right. And the challenge, you know, particularly when you're working out, you know, on an app and let's say, you know, integrate your Spotify or whatever, is that there's contextual relationship with that, you know, with the background music and the workout you're doing, right? And I think, you know, to a large extent, what's really important, why companies like, for example, SoulCycle, I don't know if you've, you've tried one of those oh, classes, yes. but, oh, you know, yes. obviously this is brick and mortar, you know, we're, we're, you know, more, you know, online, but, you know, people, people choose soul cycle classes based on obviously the type of workout, but also equally important is the style of music. And some of these soul cycle instructors are literally DJs, right? I mean, they have, they have work, they have mixing consoles right next to their bikes. And so, you know, I think a lot of that where there's, you know, a smart integration, maybe that's the best way to put it, where somebody is working out, let's say, so Fitbit, that's one of our, our big customers. As people are working out to the Fitbit coach, there's a whole series of workouts. Individuals have a choice to choose from a curated set of, of essentially, you know, Fitbit approved playlists that they can play while they're doing the exercise. And, and so that sort of contextual relationship is important, um, you know, particularly as, you know, people, you know, generally who are not happy that they have to work out, you know, they want some, some good music to, to help sort of lessen the pain. So is the idea here that Alan's not particularly in the frame of mind for beast mode. His Fitbit recognizes his heart rate isn't pumping at a level that's appropriate to that. Maybe he's in cool down mode. Therefore, we'll use Feed FM to route into his earballs a slower paced track that is more contextually appropriate for what he's actually doing. Totally. So, so Michael, you raise a great point. So, I mean, this is obvious, but you know, when you start thinking about this from the perspective Perspective of how to create a great, you know, or compelling experience, fitness experience, you know, a typical workout has three segments, right? One, it, uh, you know, cool, uh, sorry, of a, a warm up, typically a core section and a cool down, right? And so to your point, it really doesn't make sense to, to, for example, start playing very fast paced music during a warm up or a cool down. Right. You want to sort of save that for the core segment. And this is where, you know, through our our technology platform, we can actually launch, for example, faster pace, say 120 BPM during the core segment. But when you start the workout, you know, you might be in sort of that 85 BPM BPM segment. And to kind of nerd out a little bit more, you know, part of this is, you know, when we work with our fitness partners, you know, they'll make an API call that says, send me faster music now, FeedFM, and we'll actually power that and and effectively send them a grouping of music at a faster BPM. This makes an awful lot of sense to me because uh, I also jog and I have my, my running playlists and I spend so much time 
putting together a series of songs that I think will motivate me through a, a run. But the songs don't have any rhyme or reason other than I like them and they energize me. They don't sure. s- help me with a warm up. They don't help me with sprints. They don't help me with cool downs or anything like that. So you're telling me that feed.fm will, will take care of that for me automatically? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, so Alan, in your example, which is kind of interesting and, you know, we're, we're now working with a couple partners here on the wearable side whereby, so, and I can't remember Michael or Alan, which one of you brought this up, but let's say, you know, as your workout program and, and now, you know, audio workouts are super popular now. I don't know if you're, you've been following what, um, what Aptiv or ClassPass Go does, but basically, you know, there are ways to say, for example, you know, um, you know, you're, you're out running, um, at this point, you know, normally your heart rate should be at around, you know, at least one, you know, 125, 130, maybe, you know, maybe higher, but you're only in around 90, right? And all of a sudden, you know, this heart rate monitor might tell Feed FM, wow, you know, Alan is kind of dogging this, um, you know, he should be, he should be running faster. And there's capability then to say on a dynamic basis, hey, send, you know, send Alan or Michael, you know, some music that they really dig. You know, we track all that stuff and, and, and make sure that, you know, again, contextually, we're firing the right music at the right time. And as you can imagine, that takes a lot of tech, right? You know, there's capability where you know, we have to, um, you know, communicate with a wearables device. You know, there has to be some sort of prompt that says, oh, send, send this type of music now on a dynamic basis. And as you can imagine, that's really, really hard to do. Yeah, it would be because I have, or for a while I used this one particular playlist that gave you uh, instrumental bespoke um, music that mm-hmm. you, 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 you picked a you picked a, a, a pace, you know, 120, 125, 138, 165, whatever it was, whatever you're training for. But mm-hmm. that w- it wasn't dynamic at all. You if you wanted to do a sprint with uh, you know 165 beats per minute, you had to stop and set it up on your on your iPhone or whatever, right. run that for as long as you could, and then bring it down to another uh, another song, if you want to call it, another piece of music. Um, okay, so, so, so I'm in. Um, what about retail? Well, right, because I, I can imagine with retail as well, you've got an opportunity to adjust the pace of music depending on the circumstance. There's nothing worse, as far as I can tell, going into a retail store that is dead. There's nobody in it. It's empty. And the music is just blaring. It feels inappropriate for the scenario. You put mm-hmm. 50 people in a store, sure, crank the tunes. But when it's just me in the store, I find it rather obnoxious. Are you working with people who have the ability to take this technology to a new level? I know that within all of our smartphones, we have a, a chip that's built into it that is typically used mm-hmm. for purchases, transactions. But it's also capable of being used as a, as a a marker. Totally. Somebody just walked through the store. There's a ping. For all intents and purposes, a retailer can track exactly how many people are in any given store based upon the fact that their cell phone is present as well. Are you working with anybody who's taking advantage of the artificial intelligence that comes with keeping on top of that? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, Michael, you nail a really interesting point, right? Uh, particularly around, again, sort of getting to this contextually relevant content, right? So, so I think, you know, uh, in your example, right, and this gets to, um, 
uh, I don't know if you saw that movie with Tom Cruise, Minority Report, back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this there's this kind of bonkers scene where where Tom Cruise is you know and I think it's a gap, a futuristic gap, and they sort of scan his eyeballs and then all of a sudden give him you know or provide content that he cares about. Welcome back to the Gap. How those assorted tank tops work out for you? You know, while this is pretty far off in the retail space, you know there are brands that are beginning to think about about doing this, and maybe just at a at a high level to give you know a very easy um, example whereby you know so we're powering music in in apps, right? So American Eagle and Charlotte Russe are two examples of you know, of apps that use our music solution. Well, it so happens that people, because we track geographically where these guys, you know, where these users are located, um, you know, it just so happens that, you know, people, at, let's say in a store in, you know, a Charlotte Rooster American Eagle store in Miami, you know, tend to like different music than what's being played in, you know, Minnesota. Right. And so, you know, there's ways that we can provide more contextually relevant songs based on location. Um, you know, with Beacon technology, it's certainly possible. Um, and I think, Michael, you mentioned, you know, as somebody walks into a store, oh my gosh, you know, um, you know, this person is one of our, you know, our top users or our, our top customers. Well, we happen to know what music they like because they buy clothing through their app, through the app. And I know, you know, what this particular individual likes and dislikes. So it is possible to be able to change the music, you know, obviously with a nice crossfade, you know, to really enhance the shopping experience. Nothing but Tom Jones. Yeah, right. It's not on you. You ought to be loved by anyone It's not unusual You ought to have fun with anyone But when I see you hanging about with anyone It's not unusual You ought to see me cry I wanna die It's not unusual You ought to go out at any time But when I see you out such a crime If you should ever want to be loved by anyone It's not unusual It happens every day No matter what you say You'll find it happens all the time Love will never do What you want to do I'm sorry, you were saying the whole sort of neurological, you know, sciences around, 
you know, around the effect of music on consumer behavior. I mean, this this isn't, you know, sort of the futuristic stuff. This has been studied for decades and proven out. And so now, you know, when you can start adding sort of that other layer, not that, you know, sort of freaky, you know, such and hey, such and such, you just walked in the store and announce it to everybody, um, just to casually introduce music that's more relevant or casually introduce content that's relevant, you know, that um, that we expect to to improve purchase conversions. Now, I do a lot of research on how music affects food and wine and mm-hmm. restaurant and taste and yep. restaurant behavior. Totally. Do, you, do you have any clients in the in, in the uh, hospitality industry? Uh, so we 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 do. We've worked with um, you know some uh, you know hotels like the Kempton Hotel Group, which you probably know. Um, and you know what's what's interesting is that same sort of thing. You know there have been documented studies around not only type of music but tempo of music and how that affects, you know, people, for example, in a restaurant, Um, you know, so so generally faster paced music, you know, will get people moving in and out of your restaurant, which is good because you get more, uh, more conversions and more turnover. Um, Having said that classical music, which tends to be slower and keeps people, um, you know, keeps people uh, in their seat longer, which could be a bad thing potentially. Well, guess what? They actually, on average, spend more money. So there's there's all this, you know, really crazy, um, you know, research that that's been done on this. But you know, without a doubt, you know, no re- retailer, no, you know, no uh, hospitality or restaurant would ever imagine not having music being played. Um, what we're trying to do is just trying to get them a little smarter to provide better context for what they should be playing. Uh, an example would be Chipotle. Uh, Chipotle have a couple of people at their head office that do nothing but program music for their restaurants. Sure. And one of the reasons they are so particular about this is because the decor of all Chipotle restaurants is very much the same. Mm-hmm. Lots of floor-to-ceiling windows, lots of cement floors, open ceilings, hard surfaces, and they will only... Um, program music that sounds good in that particular sonic environment. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's curation. Here's a here's kind of an interesting, you know, thesis. Everyone thinks they are a DJ. In reality, they are not. And, you know, sort of the painful element here is that, you know, curation is a significant, you know, significant challenge and problem for, um, you know, for brands, right? And, you know, in many cases, you know, brands are experts in, you know, in choosing the right clothing or or whatever, you know, fitness company is, you know, all about, you know, creating great fitness content. In many circumstances, though, they may not necessarily, may not necessarily be that great at picking the right music for their target demographic. And I think what's, what at least we found, which is kind of um, important to note is that, sure, at the end of the day, you know, Look, music is like art. Music is art, right? Some people like red, some people like blue. It doesn't mean that red is better than blue. But having said that, when you look at the actual data, what do people like? What do they dislike? You know, wh- where, what song were people playing when they, you know, they left a session? These are pretty compelling data points, you know, that can be used to essentially enhance that content. Um, and maybe, you know, again, 
you know, there's a big divide between curation, right, where somebody, you know, is picking like the soul cycle example, where somebody says, hey, this is my take, you know, and taste on music, and I'm going to almost impose this on you, versus personalization at the other end, which is, well, wait a minute, you know, I don't like red, right? So I only want, you know, I, I only want this type of music. And so, in any event, so these are all things where sort of this intersection now between curation and data, you know, are really, really fascinating. And then coupled with sort of the importance of personalization, right? You know, creating the right content or sending the right content at the right time to the right person. You, you know what this is? Yeah, th- this this is radio programming. I mean, I used to be a yeah. program director and a music yeah. director. Yeah. And that's, this is exactly what we used to do is we, yeah. you know, how do you keep as many people engaged as long as possible, as often? as possible for as long as possible yep and the problem that existed in radio back then with the advent of the ipod i wonder if it's any different today for you as far as the biggest challenge which is the biggest hurdle is why would i listen to you when i've already got this little glowing rectangle Mm -hmm. that has everything i already know i like that's interesting too and I'll, i'll i'll start with myself as a use case right so i'm you know, again, uh, you know, bona fide music nerd, you know, I build playlists, you know, I do all this stuff, but I can't even keep up. Right. And so, and I'm in the business of doing this. Right. And so, you know, I've got a team of folks that actually will, will do this. And, and quite honestly, you know, imagine just your everyday, you know, person that likes music a lot, but probably won't go through, you know, the process like you guys of building, you know, your favorite playlist and keeping it fresh and changing that every week, by the way, half the joy of music isn't playing what you know half the joy is listening to stuff that you don't know oh spoken like someone who isn't an old man (laughs) so you know so so again music discovery right that's that's a real core function and you know here you know again part of the service that we provide is to keep content fresh exciting and most importantly keep people coming back to that app or product Speaking of old man, I, I see that on your board here, you've got the former president of MTV, Mika Sony. <laughs> <laughs> I say old man, he's, he's, he's 52, well, so he's like Alan's age, so that's the only reason why I'm giving it the rub. I will, yeah, well, uh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. What has he brought to the table for you? Because he was involved in digital media at MTV, just as YouTube had become a thing. Mm -hmm. And and we know how music television has gone. There's no music on music television anymore. It's all 16 ways to get pregnant type stuff. (laughs) Sure, sure. So what is it that the former president of mtv brings to you and what are you telling him so so in fair so mika by the way is one of the fittest most most active uh 52 year old people on on the planet he is a monster surfer he is an avid skateboarder he is crazy fit and uh, he does not look like he's 52. And actually, uh, to be honest, I wasn't even sure what his exact age is. So you did better research than I did. But feeling insecure there, Alan? <laughs> I'm, thanks, Michael. I'm really appreciating this line of questioning. <laughs> so, uh, and by the way, so this is great uh, because I now have to forward this podcast to him and to his network. But, um, but so you know, what's interesting, first of all, for starters, you know, Mika. Um, first and foremost, actually discovered Nine Inch Nails, right? So he saw uh, Trent Reznor perform in some tiny club in New York. 
back uh, when he was a software developer for a tiny indie called TNT Records, which you probably have never heard of. But he ended up signing Nine Inch Nail to this indie, you know, and, you know, went on to, you know, to. Wait, wait, wait. He, he worked for TVT and Steve Gottlieb? T, TNT, TNT Records. That tiny, tiny record. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. See, that, 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 that's the old man ears coming into play. I'm sorry. Yeah, just my ears perked up there. I'm a Nine Inch Nails fan, so I kind of, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. But, well, no, but so, so you know, and from there, he actually went and started a, a company called Adam Films. I mean, he has record label experience and all this. He was at EMI for a while, but then started Adam Films, which he then ended up selling to MTV um, and slash Viacom. And he ended up becoming, you know, the global head of digital for Viacom uh, back, I would say, in... This is kind of the mid 2003-2004 timeframe, somewhere around there. Um, And, you know, a lot of it, um, you know, really kind of cut to the chase is that startups are really hard. Startups are super, super hard. And even more importantly, when you sprinkle a little of that music pixie dust on it, it becomes even harder. Why? Well, you look at all the music startups out there and the graveyard is long, deep and wide. And a lot of that is because, you know, startups, I think, used to play fast. Well, still, you know, play fast and loose with music licensing. Many of them operate by this thesis of infringe, get big and ask for forgiveness, which we all know is is a losing strategy. But a lot of people still do this. And so a lot of, you know, sort of to you know answer your question around, around what he brings to the table, you know, obviously deep domain music expertise, you know, but also, you know, this guy has, you know, built, you know, a built a highly successful uh, content, you know, startup and sold it for a boatload to MTV. And that kind of understanding of, you know, coming up with an idea, building a team, raising capital, executing on a product and then selling it for several hundred million, you know, million is um, invaluable experience. And, uh, you know, these are obviously things where uh, I've got a lot to learn from him. And he's been a uh, fantastic, um, you know, advisor, board member, investor, all that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you ever get into the business of sports music, I used to be the curator for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I would pick out all the music for their home games. Oh, very cool. At, at the Air Canada Center. If you ever get into that, uh, let me know, because I got some experience. <laughs> yes, yes. Jeff Yasuda is the chief executive officer of Feed FM. He joined us from the San Francisco studio. Hey, Michael and Alan, thanks so much for having me. I uh, really had a lot of fun. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Are you getting excited? We now have rehearsal dates for the big live on location show. Now, I don't have to be there for the technical rehearsal, do I? No, no. That's just going to be me and the geeks making sure that the gear works properly. But then you're going to come a couple of days later and we're going to go through so you know where to look and, and what the, the, the rundown of the show is and all of that kind of stuff. Now, this isn't what I signed up for. I thought this was going to be a simple handheld sort of uh, seat of our pants kind of production, but it's turning into something that, that maybe we should be calling industrial light magic. It, it's kind of my fault. Well, it's all my fault, really. Uh, I've got all of this gear 
for television stuff that I haven't used since I stopped doing the Where's My Jetpack show. So I thought, let's throw up some lights. First of all, we're going to need them because by the time the show's over, the sun is going to have gone down. And I've got uh, my iPhone, my daughter's iPhone, my wife's iPhone. We can just plug these in to the machine and use the phones as the cameras. And that's that's basically the shoestring budget that we're going with here. It just happens to mean that we're trying to do a, a full-on late-night TV show format. God. All right. All right. So um, you need me on the, the Friday before, right? That's right. Just so that it's fresh in your mind, because Saturday, you've got a big event going on as well. Yes, I, it will be at the at McMaster University. It is an interactive examination of how music affects the brain. If anybody wants information on that, this is our music tech meetup thing. Uh, email me, alan at geeksandbeats.com, and I will uh, I'll get you in the meantime, of course, uh, the big live on Facebook Live from Michael's Back Deck Show show uh, will be going ahead on the 26th. That's Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. If you go to geeksandbeats.com slash live, you can actually sign up to get an automatic notification when we go live. So you don't have to worry about remembering it. It'll either go directly into your phone or we can send you off an email on that. And then when the show is, in fact, live, if you go there, we'll route you directly to the Facebook page. But we strongly encourage you to go to our Facebook page and just become a friend. That would be uh, so much easier for all involved, and it gives us the benefit of being able to actually connect to you on a personal level. Yes, and that's what we're all about, the personal service. <laughs> well, whatever. I don't know. What do you want me to say to something like that? Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.